The Broken South podcast is a comprehensive discussion of many unique facets that make up Southern culture. The creators of this podcast, Hannah Stewart and Michaela Robinette, are two rural sociology master students and will discuss culinary traditions, political opinions, and agricultural insights specific to the South and rural Alabama. Thank you for joining us. As a disclaimer, any information shared by myself, Michaela, or any of our guests on this podcast are not representative of Auburn University or the Rural Sociology Program. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are sitting here in Michaela's room, sucking down iced coffee and getting all caffeinated up, ready (laughs) for this podcast. Um, I guess we're just going to start off by recapping our week. It is the end of week two, which has flown by pretty fast, but... How is it going? It was, it's good. It's, it was better than last week, I feel. Like, I feel a little bit more maybe settled in kind of the routine. Um, still trying to get professors to figure out Zoom links. Um, that's been interesting. Um, it's almost like you have a different, like, classroom every week. And, like, you never know where to go to. And um, so that's just kind of been the one thing that I'm still a little, like, unsteady about. But... Other than that, it's been good. How about you? How's um, your week? I adopted a dog last weekend, so... Yes, the beautiful Scruffy. <sighs> My baby. So, just adjusting him and acclimating him to home life instead of shelter life has been exciting, um, at the least. And yeah, I would agree with you, just adjusting and slowly making my way through my courses. And I feel a little bit more settled and a little less nervous. I feel right on top of my game and where my classes and where I should be at least which is really nice that's good yeah um we also had the opportunity today to meet with our a bunch of our PIs that we're going to be working on with the project which is really exciting a lot of want to define a PI yeah that's a person of interest is it not I thought it was a primary investigator that's probably it too I think both you're probably right. I just I, made that up <laughs> off the top of my head. But there were awesome, um, a lot of women, which we love the representation. Um, so we have an economist. We have a, some soil scientists, someone who's working more with the chemical aspects. Um, so we have, and then, of course, our advisor, who is rural sociology. But it's a, it's a cool mix of people, which I think is going to bring on... Um, unique opinions to the project but also won't go without some arguing yeah I think we're all gonna have to have to we're all gonna have to get on the same page in terms of what everybody's goal is and make sure the goals are all the same um but I'm excited I think it's cool too that like you and I have the ability to be on the very beginning of a research project instead of a lot of master's students that I know, and I'm sure you know, like, come in halfway through a project or um, have to do something completely on their own. Um, and so I think it's cool that we get to see all the behind-the-scenes conversations of, like, when do we start doing this and how do we get our baseline data and all of these different facets that um, we probably wouldn't have been able to see if we hadn't decided to do this yeah. master's program when we did. Yeah, and I think it gives me a good amount of intellect because I know I would like to continue on with research for my profession so it is a lot of struggle in the beginning stages there's a lot of things up in the air and you also 
need to be prepared to adjust on the fly. Like, nothing's going to ever go perfectly <laughs> as planned in your proposal. So um, I'm excited to start materializing the uh, conversations we've had and yeah. start making that a reality, which is going to be, which is going to take some time, but it's going to be super fun. It's going to be super cool. I'm So I know in a couple of the things that we've been reading and talking about, it's really important for like us to um, be, become almost on the same level as the people that we're researching and interviewing with. And I'm really excited to get back into that. Because um, I feel like this is the longest that I've gone without talking to a farmer outside of my parents. Um, and yeah, a month, month and a half, I haven't done anything. And so I'm excited to get back into that. I thought we had an interesting conversation today, even just about apparel, what we would wear, wear on the fieldwork days. And yeah. I've had a few jobs where they required me to wear, in my previous institution, University of New Hampshire, like I had to wear... UNH clothes when I was doing field work just to let people know um but since we're gonna have large field days on this project and then more maybe personal one-on-one time like our outfits are also gonna have to change and we read a few cool um articles in our qualitative research methods class which kind of helps um reduce your own bias and reduce maybe the strict um educator teacher verse like the student role so instead of just like intimidating them we can get to their level and maybe open up some confidence in both of us and because we're going to be learning just as much as they are oh yeah absolutely I again I didn't know what rural sociology was until about two months ago and now I'm in the middle of a research project about it did did we have to look up the definition midway through yes Yes. um yes we're adjusting it's fine (laughs) we're we're gonna we're gonna get it together and I, I so in at least North Carolina, the agriculture business professional is khaki pants and boots and, like, a polo shirt, and I don't know what it is in Alabama, and I don't know what it is with row crop farmers. I know our advisor was saying that they wear shorts, and I don't know a single farmer that wears shorts in North Carolina. Really? <laughs> Not really. Like, I mean, like, they wear, like, cargo pants, and, like, I guess, like, if you're working on the track, you're, like, not really doing heavy work, like, Mike can throw on a pair of shorts, but it's like every time that I've ever met with them, I feel like they wear pants. I don't mm. know how they like. I don't. I mean, again, Alabama's a little bit warmer than North Carolina, oh, so yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be sweating regardless. I, yeah, <laughs> honestly, like I tried to go outside this morning and immediately got attacked by mosquitoes. I'm like, this is you know whatever. At this point, I don't even care. Yeah, like it is what it is. If I get West Nile virus while I'm in Alabama. It's fine. <laughs> I was talking to a few professors um, on the project, and and one that we have currently when I was looking at Auburn initially, and they said when you go to a conference, it's not uncommon to see agricultural professor, professors and um, graduate students wearing emblems of their college, which I thought was really interesting, because when I go to a conference, I usually think of like business casual attire. See, that makes sense to me, though. To wear the emblem? Yeah, to wear, like, the college apparel? Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. But I went to, or I helped work in agricultural environmental economist um, convention in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and some of the males would wear, like, nice button-downs or polos with, like, the emblem, but most of the women were wearing business casual dresses. So that also is a difference between, like, the profession as well. So my... And, again, I'm in, like, a lot of, like, women in agriculture groups. And, like, women's 
agriculture professional dress is so murky. Oh, like, absolutely. Nobody knows what to wear for anything. Like, do you dress like the men folk and wear, like, jeans? Like, because, like, the men can get away with, like, a nice pair of jeans and a button-down and a blazer and, like, all is fine and all is well. But, yeah, no, like, women, that's definitely something that I've noticed is, like, I don't know what to wear half the time. Like, I typically just text my mom or text friends and, like, hey, what are you wearing? What's kind of going through your head? And but also just to ensure that you're being taken seriously, I yeah. tend to overdo it because I hate to say it, there is quite a bias, especially in women in agriculture. Yeah. Like, you might want to dress the part because you don't want to be taken for granted for a second. Yeah. No, I'm a huge, like, boots and blazer girl. That's my go-to. I almost wore that today during our meeting, but then I ditched the blazer last minute. And yeah. No, that's that's kind of my go-to. Yeah. But I feel like you always look nice in boots and a blazer. Oh, yeah. That's my go-to. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to buy a polo. Yeah. A bright gotta... orange polo. See, I'm not <laughs> doing the bright orange. Like, I, no, I'm, I'm probably, like, a whiter, like, our color is blue, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably, yeah. that's probably more of I don't know. I will, I, will, I will support the bright orange polo for you, though. Thank you. It'll match awesome. my hair very well. <laughs> You're, like, strawberry blonde. Are you... Do you consider yourself strawberry blonde or I think head? so. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was told. Um, okay. So now we're going to transition into a yes. fun little activity, which I'm terribly nervous, but Michaela, why don't you explain it? Yeah, so talking to some of my friends that have been listening to the podcast that are also from North Carolina and... One of them made a comment that you, like, that would be really funny if you had to, like, res- figure out your definition of some, like, things that, like, my family commonly says and, like, people in the South commonly say um, and kind of talk about some of those. So I have a list that I've put together and some of them were made by talking to my grandma and thinking, like, oh, what does she say? Um, and so, yeah, we're just going to see... Kind of what you got. Um, so, okay, what do you think um, give me some sugar means? If somebody came up to you and said give me some sugar, what do you think? I would think it means, like, give me a hug or give me a kiss. Okay, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Yeah. Do people say that in New York? Um, no, but I've definitely heard it on a TV show. Okay. Um, let's see. What if somebody says, oh, they're just having a hissy fit? Oh, that's like temper tantrum, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hissy fit? I have heard that more often, but I would say like temper tantrum or like meltdown is more common up okay. north. Yeah, my mom would definitely like come up to me and be like, yeah, stop throwing a hissy fit. Like, <laughs> you're crap together. Um, what about if the creek don't rise? What? The creek don't rise? <laughs> if the creek don't rise. Um. <laughs> I, uh. What would the context be? Um, yeah, sure, I'll go to the store if the creek don't rise. Maybe if you have time for something? So it actually, like, yeah, like, if something completely out of our control doesn't stop us, sure, we'll do it. I have genuinely never heard that before in my entire life. (laughs) I like it, though. If the creek don't (laughs) rise. Um, if someone says they're fixing to, what do you think that means? Oh, I'm fixing. Like, does that mean, like, you're trying to do something? Or, like, you have a knack for it? <laughs> fixin' to? Uh, isn't it, like, if I have a fixin' for something, like, you're craving it? So that's, yeah, that's fixin'. But if I'm fixin' to, 
Oh, I don't know. Like, I'm fixing to write the paper. Oh, you're, uh... I'm about to do something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, what about Till the Cows Come Home? Oh, oh, um, oh, I've totally heard this before. (laughs) Isn't it, like, something that's, like, repeatedly, or, She's gonna be dancing till the cows come home. Like, till late at night? Yeah, like, it's gonna take a hot minute. Yeah. Like, Like, you're not gonna... It's gonna be a while. (laughs) Yeah, you're not gonna be doing anything anytime soon. Um, quit being ugly. That's so mean. <laughs> Anna, quit being ugly. Quit being ugly. Maybe like, like wipe the the look off your face or something. Close, yeah. It's like get yourself together. Like <sighs> stop being mean. Stop being rude. Get yourself oh, okay. together. That's harsh. Anna, quit being ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like say that to my family, and they'd like slap the living daylights out of me. <laughs> um, she thinks she's highfalutin. Excuse my language, but does that mean like she thinks she's hot shit? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot better. Highfalutin. Yeah. Um, um, let's see what else I got. Um, well, butter my butt and call me a biscuit. <laughs> I think you just made that up. Um, butter my butt and call Is that just like a. Well, okay then, kind of thing. It's like a super excited, like, well, butt around butt and call me a biscuit. Knee slap. Yeah, it's very much like a knee slap kind of thing. That's so funny. I like think, have you ever, have you seen Mean Girls? Yes, I've seen and Mean then Girls. You mean uh, the scene, it's like, will you butter my biscuit? And it's like in the sexual sense. It's, it's definitely like, not a sexual Yeah, I was going to say, sense. I don't think it is in this context. But. Uh, probably not. <laughs> Let's see. Um,. Girl, you're getting too big for your britches. Getting cocky. Yeah. Nice. Okay. That, my dad says. Getting too big for your britches? Yeah. That's definitely, like, an old man term, too. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what about if something's over yonder? Over there. Yeah. Far away. Okay. Um... Bless your heart. Oh my gosh. So I've actually never had this said to me, but this was the number one phrase that my friends slash parents... And parents' friends told me to, like, worry about. Okay. And we were talking about this today because you can certainly say bless your heart in, like, a literal sense and actually mean it, but then <laughs> you can totally say it super condescending and it's, like, one of those nice southern things. People say, like, oh, you dumb, you dumb mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, my, so, like, I definitely am guilty of saying bless your heart. I, people will, like, complain to me and I'll be like, oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart, darling. And... <laughs> It's like also in the same breath, like you're so stupid. Like get out of my face. Yeah. But then like something serious will happen, and people will be like, "Oh, bless your heart." And yeah. I'm like, and you just never know. You, you really gotta gauge know. it for sure. You never know. I, my favorite is when my mom tells me, "Bless your heart." Cause I'm always like, "Do you really that. mean that, <laughs> or do you really just think I'm being stupid right now?" <laughs> Come on, Amy, tell the truth. I'm surprised <laughs> I haven't gotten it. I get a lot of, like, Yankee, for sure. Yeah, but, like, but. you haven't really been around a lot of, like... And, I, and again, like, when I think of Bless Your Heart, I definitely think of, like... Old, old church Yeah, ladies. old Baptist women. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I don't think you've really been around that demographic of people. I have not. When have people called you Yankee? Um, so, when my parents were moving me down, they loved to brag about me and my sister, so they were, like... Anytime we went into a store and, like, 
people in the South just make conversation, which is very... Oh, yeah, definitely. Which I love, and everyone's super friendly, but, like, in the North, it, like, someone in the store would never just, like, be like, how's your day? Where are you guys from? Like, that doesn't happen. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no way. So, when whenever we said we're from New York, the first is either, oh, or, like, wow, like, that's a big transition. Like, it's always initial shock, and then they're, like, they'll, like, make a joke. They're never, like, seriously, like, okay. calling me Yankee, but they'll definitely joke about it. I've definitely got it more in, like, a play, playful way. Okay. Um, and then they'll immediately just reference the Mason-Dixon line, <laughs> which I had also never heard about, and I had to look up when someone said it. But it's really not even... There's, like, country songs about Mason-Dixon yeah. line. Like, and it's near Pennsylvania, which I was shocked. Yeah. Because if that's the cutoff for the South, like... I see. I just don't think it is. It can't be, right? It's not. Yeah. It just was, like, the Mason-Dixon line. The Mason- yeah, because the first it was just, like... I've never been above the Mason-Dixon line, and I've never planned to in my entire life. And I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but it's something, we don't want you yeah. in New York. But now anyway. I know where it is, so. Well, I'm glad. Have you heard of the um, Continental Divide yet? Continental Divide. In what sense? So it's like the division of between two mountain ranges. It's in New York, North Carolina, but it's just essentially like a line separating like one side of the continental divide versus the other side, and it's yeah. just a geographical term. But, oh, interesting. Yeah. I would definitely cut it off probably right at... Mm, uh, see, I go back and forth with yeah. whether Virginia is the north or the south. Because I have friends from Virginia. And so there's, like, northern Virginia, which is the north, and yeah. then there's southern Virginia. Oh, so you think it cuts off middle of Virginia? I would say so. Because, would, like, yeah, my friends in, like, northern Virginia that are, like, close to D.C., Maryland, like... Way more preppy. Yeah, 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 yeah. For like, sure. Yeah, no, like... My friends, are, like, people that I know that live in, like, Alexandria, Virginia are, like, like, yeah, they can be country, but they're not, yeah, like, I agree. deep south country. Um, but I definitely think, too, that there's a difference between, like, Appalachia, which, like, runs through the south and, like, parts of the north, and then, like, the south and the north. Yeah. Like, Appalachia is just completely separate de- demographic oh, of people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um... Okay, one last one. So, um, if someone said that dog won't hunt, what would you say? Is this an? Is this actually talking about a dog? It could. I mean, it could. It originated from talking about dogs. Uh, that dog won't hunt. Is that like you're a wimp? It means it's not gonna work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, like, today we could have said in our meeting that dog won't hunt, and then completely in context. Oh. Well, there you go. Yeah. I feel smarter now. Do you? And more well-versed in the Southern terms. Yeah. Now people are going to be like, oh, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> and stop, I know. Stop being ugly. Yeah. And then I won't <laughs> punch them in the face instead of it. And I'll just be like, oh, yes, that's a common term. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, after, I guess, we kind of, we're just really, we've been kind of all over the place this week, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, And so I think part of what we wanted to do for the rest of this episode is talk about, um, kind of expand a little bit on kind of things that we've talked about in in our class um, that we're both in. And um, I know you and I got really into this conversation and like the group discussion board as well as like in the actual lecture where we were talking about like how the media portrays rural areas. and, like, one of the first things that somebody in the class said was, like, Honey Boo Boo is a very negative portrayal of, like, rural areas, which I never really thought of, because I always thought Honey Boo Boo was hilarious. Um, 
but I guess we wanted to kind of expand on that conversation. So, uh, yeah. thought process on Honey, Buddy, on Honey Boo Boo. I've actually never seen an episode of Honey Boo Boo. Have you not? I mean, wait, wait, wait. Do you know what Honey Boo Boo is? Oh, yeah. Okay. I yeah, I would watch, um like, the pageant shows. And Toddlers then, like, and Tiaras. Yes. <laughs> Why was, was I so a, obsessed with that show? It was such a good show, though. Yeah. Like, I always really enjoyed watching these, like, kids. So... Why I love t- toddlers and tiaras. Yes, tell me. <laughs> um, so I grew up in 4-H and FFA, and I showed livestock. And showing livestock is very similar to like dog shows, except with like, hor- like cattle and like pigs and goats and lambs. And like it's the same con. It's not the same concept, but, but without it- the fake tan and the fake eyelashes. No. <laughs> Wait, what? With, like, people, you get, like, super oh. dressed up for, like, a Oh, yeah, I thought show. you, I'm, like, talking about the cows, though. Oh, well, I mean, you spray yeah. paint them. Oh. Yeah, if they have, like, so, okay, so the whole purpose oh, of yeah. a livestock please, show. Oh, yeah, please, like, go back and, like, we need to talk <laughs> about this for sure. Are you, well, you look like you knew what I was talking about. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. So, a livestock show, the purpose of it is, so a kid would get an animal for a year, and... At the end of the year, you show them at the state fair where a judge will come in and look at the animal for, like, best market quality. And so there's market class where they're like, okay, like, this animal would produce the best meat. Like, and judge it based on its looks. And then there's showmanship, which is, like, essentially you're really cute and you know how to show your animal well. And so, oh, like, showmanship okay, okay. judges you, market judges... So, I knew the market. market. I wasn't sure about the showmanship. Part. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so, like, I was really good at showmanship when I was, like, five and had blonde hair, baby blue eyes. Oh, like, yeah. it was beautiful. Um, what happened? No, I'm I, just kidding. <laughs> I, I got ugly. <laughs> um, but then market is where, like, the big money is. So, you sell your animal um, at the state fair. Um, and so when I first started showing, so my first show, I was five years old. I had two goats, Prince Charming and Cinderella, and <laughs> I was that girl. And that was the last year in North Carolina made the kids physically put the animal on the trailer. So I had to walk the animal on the trailer, take its collar off, and walk away as like a five year old with Prince Charming and Cinderella. And I literally screamed bloody murder the whole way home. <laughs> but. Anyway, coming back to, like, why I love toddlers and tiaras, so parents that are livestock show parents get super into it, and it is so funny. Like, as an adult watching them, I'm like, I want, like, a video, I want a TV show about the parents of, like, livestock parents. I mean, that's what Dance Moms is, I mean, like, yeah, no, like, we need a show about livestock families that's, like, a TLC show about, like... I think it'd be so interesting because these people spend, like, thousands of dollars on an animal and would, like, drive halfway across the country to, like, pick up a, like, pig or something. And then, one, the animal's castrated, so you can't really use it for genetics. And then you sell it at the end of the year anyway, or you're supposed to sell it at the end of the year. Um, but, like, they always have to drug test the winners because, like, people do, like, yeah, they'll do, like, like enhancement drugs um, in the feed. Like... It's some, it's some real, it's some real interesting stuff right there. We're in the market for a new show. TLC, watch out. Yeah, hey, yeah, TLC, I got, I got the perfect pitch for you guys. Yeah, but, um, circling back to, uh, the nice little tangent that we went on, mm-hmm. um, for I'm Honey really Boo Boo. Oh no, it's okay, it's interesting stuff, but Honey Boo Boo for sure, I think, 
my sister watched it, so I knew what it was about, and I would definitely say it did not show the South or rural areas in general in the yeah. most positive light. Um, even if we're just talking about the type of food they ate, like their presentation of themselves, um, yeah. the way they talked, um, their values, their morals, and yes, it was very entertaining. But yeah. that's just not an accurate portrayal of what any of the rural South... I mean, some, absolutely, but, like... Yeah. And I think, too, like, what I was struggling with with this topic was, like, my... Like, country versus rural. And I think that, the, like, there's very different things. Like, one of the first things that popped into my mind was, like, hee-haw. And have you ever heard of hee-haw? Hee-haw? So it's, like, this... It's, like, country version of SNL. Like, there's different skits. Oh, cool. We'll have to watch, like, a hee-haw show one day. It's, okay. It's fun. Um, but, like, there's Minnie Pearl, who, like, always has the fancy hats, but she never takes the tags off of them. So, like, all of her hats still have tags. Like, and, like, it just was always, like, I grew up watching hee-haw with my grandparents. And, like, mm. we would watch hee-haw together. And um, I never watched Saturday Night Live. And so, like, I thought of hee-haw and I thought of the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. And, like... The little horn noise that the car would make. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, like, I think that's what I was struggling with. And then I started thinking about my favorite show recently that I've got you on, which is Yellowstone. And so... Thinking about all the hot cowboys. Oh, there's so <laughs> many hot cowboys. So, yeah, so how, how have you liked Yellowstone? I think it's great. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not set in the South. But it yeah, but it's rural. Yeah, it plays on the rural aspect, and um, I really like how it details the tough relationship between the native peoples, um, and I forget the exact tribe that they're dealing with in Yellowstone, and the white people. Um, and I think that's also something that we need to detail just in Alabama, because a lot of our conservation... Um, areas and the laws because the areas in which we farm are bordering a lot of native like reservations yeah so it's super hard to pass general state laws because a lot of the time migration patterns could run right through a native reservation and right through that native land and the state technically doesn't really have governance at that point so I really like how the show details the really, whether it's financially, um, it's the social kind of disconnect between the two cultures, and obviously it's deeply rooted in a lot of hatred and violence, which completely makes sense why it is that way. Um, but it's a really interesting show because it makes you really self-examine how you view property, how you view rural areas, how you view like stealing of livestock or yeah. commodities. So it's... And, isn't it decently based off of, like, tr like real events? Or yeah, so? so, yeah, so all of my farmer friends that watch Yellowstone, all of us are, we watch an episode and we're like, yeah, that's our life. Um, the, so the, in the first episode that we were watching with the native people, uh, not really, they were stealing livestock. They took down the fence and let the livestock wander into their property and then wouldn't give them back. Um, so that was kind of based on something that I had animals tied up into, which um, happened in, like, Nevada. It happened in that area um, where 
animals wandered into a uh, federal land and then the federal government claimed them as their property and then wouldn't return them and so um yeah so like people were like paying their bail like because these farmers got arrested trying to get their animals out and um it was actually it was a really interesting thing i'll have to like show you the videos and stuff about it but um all of us just sit here and we're like yeah that happened yeah we relate and it's i think too one of the reasons why i like yellowstone so much one the hot cowboys there's so many of them um they're just there in abundance but <laughs> i think too it's really interesting talking like the family relationships that happen within farming and I've seen most all of it. I haven't seen season two, but I've seen season one and season three. Um, and so being able to see like the transition between like siblings as like the father ages out of the farm and like the siblings are technically supposed to be stepping up, but then also wanting to do like their own thing with it. Um, and then also like, I feel like I relate a lot. So the daughter, and then the father's relationship on the show, I feel like it's really a pretty accurate reflection of how, like, I am with my dad, um, where, like, <laughs> I come in, I fix the problem, and then I leave, essentially, um, because, like, I mean, I am in school, and I am, um, kind of away from the farm most of the year, but, um, it's definitely, it's a really cool show, and I'm glad that you're watching it with me, and we get to have that portrayal of it. Yeah, absolutely. Another show, when I think of rural society in a context, someone brought up Ozark, Ooh. and I thought that was a really good example because, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's about a, a man who's basically helps people, he's like an asset manager, and then he gets kind of dragged into laundering money for a drug cartel in the Ozarks. Um, and then do a really nice job of kind of pairing how the poor rural outskirts of the Ozark matches with, like, um, I guess high class, expensive drug la or drug money laundering. And it yeah. gets intense, but it's a great show. But then had me also thinking on a question that we discussed um, about the types of crime in rural area versus city area. And our professor... Um, kind of had the notion that maybe more um, high-class financial crimes may happen in the city and maybe more uh, property-related. Um, uh, I, I, I do remember what he was saying. It was, like, property-related and um, it's definitely different. Like, it's different types of crime, but I wanted to pick your brain because you kind yeah. of were thinking the opposite. Yeah, like, whenever... And that's why I really don't remember what he was saying. Because the whole time I was like, oh, that's not really how I think about it. So I think about it, it's the same type of crime, but it would just happen in different contexts. Like, and we're going to get real morbid here. Like, I'm not going to get raped in an alley in Pine Tops, North Carolina. One, because we don't have any alleys in Pine Tops, <laughs> North Carolina. Um, we have Main Street, and that's what we got. Um, and so, but, like... I could be, like, kidnapped in the Walmart parking lot. Like, it, it, it's the same similarities, but, like, also, there's so much, like, we can, we can talk all day long about, like, financial, uh, financial crimes whenever we have multi, technically, I mean, if we really want to be considering assets and everything that a farm comes with, multi-million dollar properties, but then you have accountants that not really are uh, understanding exactly 
how much a tractor implement is worth, how much it is to buy seed, how much is it like to raise a cow and to get it from like pasture to plate, what that process is. Um, so yeah, like it's definitely, I, I don't know if I would call them white collar or blue collar crimes. I would just call them crimes in a different context. Absolutely. Like, yeah, like going back to the notes that I was, I was reviewing my notes the other day and it's just like, like, yeah, like I definitely, I mean, again, like the professor said that we would have like a whole unit on like rural crimes. And so I guess that's going to be an interesting thing to go over. Um, and maybe my opinion will change. Um, but right now I'm just kind of of the mindset is the same crime, just in a different setting. It might happen in a different context. Yeah. But. I completely understand what you're saying. And when you, when we were talking about it after the class, it made me almost think about like the glamour of say like a crime of embezzlement or like fraud happens in New York City. That's going to be on a much larger scale, especially if it happens yeah. on Wall Street. So maybe that's exciting and yeah. as a as a society we want to read more about that and maybe like, well, like that so happens like oh, i yeah. know people that have been embezzled like, oh yeah but like i know people much... that are in jail for embezzlement <laughs> like, yeah okay. but it's it's definitely like not the people we idolize yeah yeah i would agree with that but i don't think anybody idolizes rural america exactly that's what so, i'm saying I mean, yeah that's like saying. yeah <laughs> like yeah nobody's gonna think that so maybe that's why he was thinking the way yeah so like that stuff happens but it's not like the shining city that's gilded and yeah actually very corrupt yeah no i get that and i get that viewpoint of it i just yeah in the context that we were talking about it, i was like mm, oh maybe yeah. maybe i'm like i followed the train of thought but i don't know if my train of thought is at the same station if yeah that makes sense absolutely but and like too we've talked a lot about like the media depiction and we talked a lot about shows and I feel like even in class we were talking a lot about like tv and movies but I think too like even music portrayals of like real life like my first thought process was like coal miner's daughter by Loretta Lynn um and like how like they didn't always have shoes they didn't always have clothes but like they were happy and um and I think that people in rural, so on the first day of the same class that we're talking about, um, we talked about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how people in rural America find it more difficult to reach like the top stage, which is like self-actualization um, because like the t- bottom stages are like food, water, shelter, and then like it gradually gets more complex from there. And I kind of raised the point, we didn't really talk about it, which I mean was fine, but like, um, I raised the point that, like, people in rural America can reach self-actualization. It just it gets reached in a whole lot different viewpoint than people that are, like, making multi-millions of dollars in, like, big cities. Like, somebody in rural America is probably never going to own a private island. But, like, my granddad reaches self-actualization every day that he gets to mow his lawn and, like, yeah. gets to spend hours, like, mowing the farm. Like, oh, yeah. And he's happy with himself. He likes where he's at. And, yeah. Um, he doesn't always have access to the same things and, like, the same forms of entertainment. Yeah, you but, can definitely get to the top of the pyramid based on the resources that you're given and what you're working with. Yeah. And, like, and I mean, yeah, like, there's definitely going to be some, like, I guess a little bit more challenges with getting to the top. Like, you might not always have access to healthy food nearby and, like, transportation to get there. Like, 
there there might be like some some steps along the way, but I mean, like I I don't know, like I'm kind of the mindset too, like you can reach self actualization even if you're on like food stamps. Yeah. Like it might be in a whole different thought process, but like I think it's possible. Yeah. Oh, speaking of food stamps, um Ooh, what about it? Let's talk about I it. guess food in general, but can you tell me a little bit about what the grocery stores in your hometown oh, look yeah. like? We were talking about that with our advisor, and yeah. I was wondering if we would talk about that. Um, so the first question, so whenever, so context about the conversation. So we were talking about a project that she does for her classes where um, these students have to go into Black Belt County grocery stores. Can you explain to us what Black Belt is? Yes. Because you actually asked us to get Yes. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a geographical and social economic um, thought process where um, the soil is a lot more black, so it was, like, used for, like, cotton and, like, agriculture, but then also popular counties for slave trade and, like, slavery. Am I yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, um, a lot of, like, so, apparently, and I'm saying apparently because I'm second-guessing myself, so Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, and it kind of makes, like, a U-shape. You up to the Carolina she's yeah. arguing. Yeah, and, I mean, I kind of see that. But, anyway, and so, like, a lot of these places are, like, low-income, um, don't have access to public transportation, don't have access to high-quality food. And I was kind of, whenever she was talking about these, like, types of grocery stores, I was thinking of, like, my local Piggly Wiggly. And so... I was thinking of the Piggly Wiggly, and I was thinking of our Walmart, but then I was also thinking of, like, our country convenience stores, and, like, how one of my favorite country convenience stores and Pine Tops, um, I've been going to since, like, I was a kid, my mom has been going there since she was a kid, um, you can get, it has a grill, and you can also get, like, um, like, basic like toilet paper like basic toiletries and things um they also have like canned goods and bread like you can buy like that type of stuff there um and whenever like our advisor was describing some of the black belt county stores as like dusty and like food wasn't high quality like that's kind of what I was thinking like I was kind of relating to that um and I wanted to ask her if like some of the stores like those, like, food places that, like, you can go and buy food that aren't necessarily grocery stores, but, like, you can buy groceries from, um, if they had bars on the window, because a lot of our, like, again, so we don't have a lot of access to, like, Walmarts and Targets, like, they're not in abundance, um, it takes me 20 minutes to go to Walmart and 30 minutes to go to Target, um, and then it takes me 15 minutes to go to Piggly Wiggly, but again, Piggly Wiggly, is actually really expensive. Um, it's like maybe, yeah, it's, I'd say in some cases even like double the price for like some things that you can buy at Walmart. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, so like if I need like milk or something, I go to Dollar General. Mm. And like if I need something quick, and like I know that I'm not going to be real picky about what I need, like I'll do like a Dollar General or something like that. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I was, but no, like, I definitely think some of them are dusty, some of them are old, definitely family-owned, kind of what I think of, um, but yeah, no, like, Walmart and Target are, like, 
you you go whenever you want to get out of the house and you know you have time and like you're also going to go into town for other things um but like if I need something real quick it's never really a go-to absolutely what if like how would I don't know I guess you'd kind of have a different relationship with like grocery stores and stuff oh yeah so uh I'm a huge proponent of Wegmans so I'm from Rochester and yeah have you ever heard of Wegmans vaguely but I've never been to one. Oh, oh my gosh it's like heaven on earth and if you talk to anyone from Rochester a common obsession is garbage plates and Wegmans just because of how fantastic they are it Wegmans is very comparable to a Publix okay. for a long time it was ranked the number one grocery store in the country um very small geographic region that it covers it started in Rochester New York and I think now it touches Maryland and maybe Virginia okay. um so kind of northeast space but it's absolutely awesome so whether it's in the city or a suburb Wegmans provides amazing quality produce such a variety of um ethnic foods has like a different aisle for everything it's like everything's in pristine condition they like have really great benefits for their employees and a lot of people's desires to work for Wegmans whether it's marketing or even a cashier see that's like not at all like People that work in our grocery stores are typically people that are either so like, and again, I'm thinking from my experience, but it's a lot of people that are either like disability workers or high school workers. Yeah. Um, most everybody that I know from my county has worked at Piggly Wiggly or knows somebody that has worked at Piggly Wiggly. Um, but then, yeah, no, like we... Like, if I want, like, produce, I don't ever, I, I don't say, I can't say never. I very rarely try and buy that from a grocery store because it's almost always came from outside of the U.S. Um, if I want produce, I go to, like, a produce stand from, like, a farmer um, that I know and I try to um, as much as possible. Um but, yeah, and, like, you'll see, like, driving down the road, like, people will be, like, set up outside of an old gas station or whatever and, like, say, like, watermelons and, like, you go and you buy your watermelon. And, um, I don't know, it's just definitely a little bit more small town. But, see, and I think my experience might be different is, like, we're, so Edgecombe County is a food desert. And a food desert is a certain amount of mileage from, like, a grocery store. And so, like, people don't really have... A lot of options, I guess. Can you go into further detail of what you think a food desert is? Yeah, so it's like, and again, I don't remember the mileage, but um, it's like not a lot of mileage to um, a grocery store that has like fresh, affordable produce and like fresh, affordable food. Um, And then it also has something to do with like public transportation to get there. And in Edgecombe County, there's Tar River Transit, which mostly does transportation to like the hospitals but like I don't have a public transportation system in my county yeah um we don't have uber we don't have lyft or like we might but it's only like one or two drivers and it's probably really expensive yeah like nobody I know actually does it yeah and like uses it um no so food delivery service does not go to my house um I can't like order a pizza and have it delivered to me um I can get it delivered to the county high school and pick it up from there but even then like if I'm going to the county high school I might as well just go to the place and pick it up um yeah so 
and the, and I mean a lot of people and like unless you live in the town, which again is technically considered urban. So Tarboro, which is like the main hub of Edgecombe County, is considered urban by the USDA, and I really take offense to that because I don't think that Tarboro is urban at all. Um, but I mean, I guess in comparison to like the towns outside of Tarboro, it would be. Um, but yeah, I definitely, so again, like my experience with like food and like food availability is a lot different than like you or like people that live in a little bit more populated areas because like people don't have access to food in my area. We have McDonald's and we have Bojangles and we have Burger King and like if you want something to eat, those are your places or you can go to the two Mexican restaurants or you can go to the Italian restaurant and like that's our options for food. Absolutely. And so. The great thing about Wegmans in in the context of upstate New York, um, not only do they kind of pride themselves in supplying, though it is pretty expensive, it's just amazing quality produce and food. They actually do a really nice job of supporting their community as well. Wegmans does a bunch of scholarships every year, so employees that have been high school workers They'll give them college funding, That's which is really cool. great, and you can apply for it. I know a few people from my high school who got the Wegman scholarship, and of course it's not a lot, but it's something, and it's yeah. really impressive that, that super cool. they reach out to the community in that sense. And I actually have a friend who just graduated from the University of Michigan, got an archaeological um, geoscience degree, I believe, <laughs> geology, and she's working for the Wegman's organic farm, so... The fact that not only are they employing people in the sense that they're just working in the grocery store, they're reaching out to their community, and they actually have kind of a farm-to-table operation, in a sense. So, And I think one of the problems with, like, where we are is, like, we are, like, a low-income community. Um, I think I was looking at it the other day, and, like, 30% of my hometown is, of a thousand, my hometown's, like, a thousand people, um are under the property line um and but I think something that a lot of people forget and I think that a lot of people goes from everywhere to like me to like the people that are like selling the food like so everybody like we all forget that like just because people are poor doesn't mean that they want trash and doesn't mean that they will accept less quality or accept less of something because they are inherently poor and they don't deserve nice things. And I think that a lot of people that are on, like, welfare benefits or are on SNAP or whatever uh, get judged because they're accepting SNAP benefits and food stamps, but, like, they have an iPhone um, or, like, they have a nice shirt on or, like, things like that. And I think there needs – in order – for our food system to change, there needs to be a narrative about how we treat people that are low income. Absolutely. And, and again, like that's, that's a conversation that can take months and years of reworking our systems to do, but in order to positively impact rural America and to change the narrative that like we get with like Honey Boo Boo and like her like family that is all overweight and like all of this stuff like until we can change how our food system is looked at like and change the access that these people have 
to healthy, nutritious food, we're not going to be able to change that narrative that other people are going to see. And I and, think, like, the most ironic part is, I assume most of your, like, neighbors are probably farmers. Yeah. So, and it's kind of sad that those are the grocery stores that well, they're offering. And like, that's something, yeah, like, funny that you talk about that, because that's something that my family talks about a lot. So, Eastern North Carolina, and again, I could be getting the percentages wrong, but, like, Eastern North Carolina grows, like, 40% of the state's food, and don't have access to any of it. Like, if you go in the grocery store, almost everything says product of Mexico, product of, like, all of these other places, but, like, we're growing squash. We're growing peanuts. We're growing potatoes. Like, we're doing all these things. We don't have access to it, and it's, it's very interesting, like, the change... And demo like, in the demographics between like ninety five and like how the eastern part of I ninety five is like very rural and very low income and like the western part, um, because like these people just don't have the same access to it. Um, I'm very I would like to see that change, Absolutely. and I think there are some great farmers that are working to make those changes, but like. Until the people at the top buy into it, we're we're gonna be fighting this fight for a while. Yeah, and again, shameless plug, um, we can change this by using your power to vote. Um, so make <laughs> we're just sure, gonna keep saying yeah, this. Yeah, I'm every... gonna keep saying it. every episode. Um, just make sure you're educating yourself. Um, when you do go to the polls this fall, it's so important. Um, really make sure that you're flushing out. Um all your options um and just not only for agriculture and food stability environmental justice issues for everything yeah i would agree with that 